All right. It is Tuesday, May 16th, 2023, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick OJ, and today you'll be getting my reaction to Francis Ngannou signing with the Professional Fighters League. We have a lot to discuss, a lot to unpack. We've got some good contract details, a couple of interviews he's done. We are recording before Ariel Hawani's MMA hour, so we're not going to have details from that, but we have plenty to unpack and discuss. And I'm going to tell you from my perspective, if it was a good or bad deal overall for PFL and Ngannou, but tons to break down there, and that's going to be the bulk of our show. Then we're going to move on to PFL suspensions. So outside of the Ngannou signing, we did have recent news about several fighters being flagged uh, for drug failures in the 2023 PFL tournament. PFL has come out with a statement regarding this uh, to kind of you know do some damage control. Sounds like there's going to be alternate alternate fighters stepping in for some of these guys that have been flagged. We're going to break that all down in terms of perception and how the Ngannou announcement and you know these looming suspensions look for the PFL in general. Which which one does more damage, more help? What's the end result with some of these PR announcements PFL is doing right now? Then we're going to talk about Zufa Financials. So obviously, since the last time we did an episode, uh, you've had the discussion around Endeavor purchasing uh, WWE, and we've talked about that on the show. But Endeavor has done a filing showing the financials of Zufa specifically, and we need to talk about some of the margins they're making, as well as really where they're going to go moving forward. What's the plan with this new company combined with WWE, how do they continue to grow their profit margins at the rate they've been growing? Lots to unpack there. Last but not least, we're going to talk about Dana White's comments regarding Power Slap. So it's been a little bit, but Dana White made some comments regarding Rumble and Power Slap and how on social media they're killing it in terms of you know having more views combined than the NHL, NFL comments ex- that are, are pertaining or implying that you know Power Slap is the biggest thing ever. I'm going to talk about why he made those comments, you know, how outlandish they may or may not be. And, you know, his role as a promoter moving forward for power slap, because I think people have missed sight of what Dana's role really is and why he said some of the things he has. So timestamps at the bottom as always, and let's go ahead and dive right in. All right. So first thing we need to talk about today is obviously the huge announcement that Francis Ngannou is in fact going to the PFL. Uh, we saw him tease an announcement for today on social media. We wait, waited to record the podcast until today to see what that was. Uh, it is, in fact, that Ngannou has signed, at least for MMA, a deal with Professional Fighters League. Uh, some of the details of this deal include uh, Ngannou fighting you know, exclusively in MMA for the pay-per-view super fight division. So he's not going to be in the tournament, the heavyweight tournaments, right? It's just the new pay-per-view division that Don Davis and co are trying to get off the ground here. Uh, He will sit on the PFL's global advisory board to represent the interest of active fighters. He will be an equity owner and chairman for PFL Africa. That's big. Uh, We've seen PFL obviously move into Europe and start doing events there. Uh, They are now moving into Africa as well. I haven't heard any updates on the world series of fighting lawsuit I'm assuming it's been resolved to an extent for PFL to make these moves, but maybe not. So I'm still reaching out to sources there to see, you know, um, what's going on with that. But it's been pretty silent from what I've heard. So may have gotten something arranged or gotten some kickbacks, something of that regard. Uh, But either way, PFL is expanding globally. And for PFL 
Africa Nganu is going to be the chairman of that. I think that's probably a good call, uh, but we'll dive into that a little bit further here. Uh, some other details include that his, essentially his, his fighters, or I'm sorry, his opponents are guaranteed a certain amount of money. It looks like $2 million per fight. That's huge. He requested that, which is just, you know, great in terms of, um, you know, if you're a fighter who's going to end up facing Nganu, you're now getting a pretty huge payday. Um, a lot of upside in terms of the pay-per-view buys and Nganu's share of that. I believe from John Nash, we have information that equates to if you got like a million pay-per-view buys, uh, Nganu would get something like tens of millions of dollars, like close to the quote-unquote Deontay Wilder money uh, that John Jones had been asking for to fight Nganu. Um, based on his interview with the DAZN MMA show, uh, he's been a, the, this has been agreed to for several months now. So when there was that speculation with one talking with Nganu again, what Ariel Hawani said was true, seemed to be true or verified in terms of Nganu respectfully meeting with Chatri, but he had already kind of agreed to do something else. So that deal was dead in the water when one was doing those negotiations. Um, he may have a tune up fight in boxing in 2023 in hopes of facing Deontay Wilder. In 2024, he's talking with the money team about that. Uh, so sounds like for boxing, he's looking at working with Floyd Mayweather, which is something that I thought made sense. A lot of other people make sense in the industry. If you're going to do boxing, having Floyd Mayweather be your promoter and kind of set up fights is never a bad idea. Um, and let's see what else here. Uh, it says he's still down to fight John Jones. If he could get it worked out, that'll never happen unless Jones. Yeah, I mean, he's signed on for too long there's no way that jones will leave and fight uh Nganu anytime soon anyway um if it was up to him his next opponent would be tyson fury or deontay wilder so that is also a big big deal um this contract is only for two or three fights guarantees a high seven figure purse for each fight a split of event net profits so again pay-per-views do well or gate does well all that stuff he's getting a cut um, so yeah, not just pay-per-view. It sounds like I would assume event net profits also means, uh, like gate, right? If they sold out in a big arena or something, he'd get some of that. Um, the right to have his own sponsors in the cage. That's massive. Cause that money is pretty much all his, um, no champions clause or other extensions. Uh, and yeah, I mean, signing bonus for, or salary to serve as a brand ambassador for PFL. Those are the main highlights. Um, Shout out to both John Nash uh, for, you know, doing his due diligence as always around this stuff, uh, digging around. And then uh, also to Aaron Bronstetter, who summarizes it very well on Twitter. If you want to just like a quick overview, like just in writing, Aaron's really good at that. And he's done a fantastic job in this as well. He also interviewed Don Davis um, in regards to signing uh, Nganu back in January. It's that's worth the clip is, is worth a look. So, this is something, again, I had heard for a little bit that Nganu was going to PFL. Um, never had it confirmed, right? But once one was out of the running, if he was going to do MMA, PFL kind of made the most sense in terms of having the investors and the backing to get him the money he wants as well as give up some equity and leave him open for boxing. That was the biggest thing. I told you guys back 
when Nganu was almost certainly going to not resign with the UFC. And I, you know, stuck my flag in the ground and said, there's no way he's resigning with the UFC. He's going to boxing next. This is a scenario where he signed with the PFL um, and he will fight with the PFL, right? But it's not going to be till 2024, which will be, I would assume, towards the end of the year of 2024 as well. And it's also based on his own confession, right? On the DAZN MMA interview, Nganu wants to do boxing next. It makes too much sense for him to go and do boxing next. And especially if you get a fight against Wilder or Fury. I mean, Fury seems less likely because Fury talks a lot, but, you know, doesn't always step into the ring. Uh, Wilder, though, I think that could get done, especially with Mayweather um, promoting him. That's that's too much money on the table, right? That's one fight, and he's guaranteed more money than he's almost certainly going to make in he ever would have made in the, the UFC, um, and probably more than he's going to make here in the PFL, depending on how well it sells. Right? All comes down to selling. But I mean, the the purse split is going to be much much higher, and, and and that's just guaranteed money for him to step into the boxing ring, which he wants to box anyway. He's talked about that, so. That all makes sense. That's really where his, his next fights want to be, it seems like. This deal gives him the ability to focus on boxing, right? Says he wants to do a tune-up fight and then fight Wilder or Fury. Um, but do that, but then still be part of MMA and be in the MMA world. He gets an equity share. He gets to be on a board uh, advisory for you know helping out fighters. He shows... You know, some of the like raising all fighters up through guaranteeing that his opponent makes a certain amount of money just to step into the cage with him. Gets the signing bonus. This is a ridiculously good deal for Francis Ngannou, right? He gets to still do his boxing stuff, but now he gets a bunch of money while he's trying to line up the boxing stuff. And... There is no reason, if this deal is on the table for you, Francis Agato, there is no reason you don't immediately take it, especially with chairman of PFL Africa being on the board, the equity stake. That that's Those are game changers, right? Conor McGregor talked about how he wanted equity in the UFC and how you know he was a big enough name and star, he should get a little bit of equity in the UFC, and they refused to give it to him. But that was such a huge point for him because then, right, you have once you have equity in a company, if you've ever worked in consulting like I do, or uh, even in just whatever company, right? There is a huge difference between, and you can see it easily, people who have equity and people who are just getting paid a salary or hourly. You can pay somebody a $300,000 salary, and that's great for them, and they'll work hard to maintain that income, but you could pay somebody else a 150 k salary and give them like a 5 or 10% equity stake, and they almost certainly are going to work as hard, if not harder than the 300 K person, because then if the company does well, you actually see some of the profits, right? Like that's, that's the main thing is the amount of, of changes I've seen in, in leadership when somebody gets equity, just that switch of like, okay, now I want the company to do well. I'm not worried about just my area. I want everything to be running like a well-oiled machine. I want, this company to do super well. I'm working, I'm willing to work like crazy hours sometimes, right? Especially if you're in a smaller startup, because the hope is you're in that smaller startup, you get a bunch of shares early on, 
and then that startup gets acquired by a bigger company and you get a massive payout. I've seen I've seen people retire at you know 35 40 could hypothetically retire even younger than that. I know one guy at 28 he got 3 million dollars because this company just took off got bought out. That's the dream, right? That's the that's the goal. And those people that I know like were willing to put in 70 80 hour work weeks especially when it was rough wearing multiple hats doing things that aren't even really their job but all because they wanted to get that final payout, right? That's that's kind of the entrepreneur mindset too. That's when people start up companies, they're doing all this stuff. You'll see oftentimes they're just working nonstop all the time, focused on work. And a lot of that is so that they can secure their financial future as well as, again, a lot of them believe in their actual products too. But there's a fair amount that's literally just trying to get, trying to get the bag, right? So this equity for Nganu is changes everything for him because if PFL does well, right? PFL continues to grow, is able to do all these things. He gets a share of those profits and he could sell his shares at a higher price. He, you know, I mean, that's, that's setting up your financial future and your children's or generations beyond future too, right? Your family's future. So, Again, how Inganu turns this deal down, I, I, no one was offering him anything close to that. I mean, you have Nash saying that UFC would have probably given him more money with the pay-per-view buys, and I do believe that, right? Like, So if he's champ and then he fights Jones, that probably does well pay-per-view-wise, and he probably gets more money overall based on that. But again, Again, the way the UFC works, if you're not the champ, your salary gets cut immensely. It's not like you get this salary, you're champ, you lose the belt, uh, you're still making money. It's it's all with the you know caveat that you have to defend your belt and you have to win. If you don't, it falls off a cliff. So it's not really guaranteed money. This is guaranteed seven-figure salary for him each fight. And if we're being honest, right, in terms of the competition out there right now in heavyweight free agency, I mean, I don't have anyone favored over Nganu um, in a fight at this point. I mean, it, that's that's something where, and we'll dive into it here in a second, but that's something where in terms of his level of competition, it's it's drastically lower than it was in the UFC heavyweight in general MMA is a shallow division doesn't matter where you look um there's no company where you look and you say wow there's you know a really solid heavyweight division UFC has bolstered their division and it finally is starting to look better right with the introduction of uh Sergey Pavlovich uh, Curtis is still up there in a big threat um Tom Aspinall gone jones is now up there right like it's starting to be built out a little bit more but even then when you get past the top seven or eight it falls a little bit off a cliff and you look at some of the other promotions divisions i mean if we're looking at the pfl's you know division right now it's not let me see in terms of the 2023 tournament you know right now because Nganu technically said he was keeping an eye on the 2023 tournament champion, which, I mean, for him, yeah, all these guys, you know, you got 
Dennis Goldslav, uh, Bruno Capaloza, Maurice Green, who essentially washed out of the UFC, is now in third place in the 2023 PFL standings. Uh, Danilo Marquez. And then the rest of the division, you've got Jorgen DeCastro, Renan Ferreira, um, Cesar Ferreira, it, it, Antti Delaja. I mean, you've got scenarios here where if I'm in Ghanu, this level of competition, at least on paper, looks much lower than what he was dealing with in the UFC, right? He's not fighting a Stipe. He's not fighting a Gon. He's not having to fight a Jones. He's fighting guys that have so far proven to struggle against lower level UFC competition. Um, It's not, you know, it's not a scenario where there's anyone who's a massive threat to him necessarily, at least on paper. Now it's MMA. Anything can happen. We all know that. Right. So could always technically lose, but I mean, the shallowness here is pretty, pretty evident at least in terms of UF or PFLs, sorry, PFLs current heavyweight division. Now this circles us back to the last episode we did in regards to Bellator being for sale. Rumors have been swirling that PFL is looking to buy Bellator. PFL is one of the parties talking about it, but as far as I know, and I could be wrong on this, but as far as I know, I haven't heard any, you know, I know there was on the verge of purchasing Bellator with the rumors circulating. I personally haven't heard anything to that effect. That doesn't mean it couldn't be true. doesn't mean that this episode airs and all of a sudden PFL announces they're buying Bellator. Um, but I, I know PFL's hat is in the ring and they're under consideration, but I haven't heard like, oh, this is imminent. They've put forward a deal that's so good to be true, similar to what they did with Nganu. You know, it, it's going to happen. I will say this though. I would not be shocked if PFL does end up winning or at least making a very aggressive offer for Bellator because that's something where with the addition of Nganu and you know the current status of the PFL tournament which we'll talk about here in the next segment buying Bellator if they were able to pull it off would add a massive amount of talent. Right. And again, I think you probably have the brand separate. Maybe you do tournaments in each where they meet in the middle. I think I suggested that on the last episode um, where a champion of each tournament ends up fighting each other. Uh, you've got, you've got a lot of scenarios here, but I would imagine in some of the PFL divisions, you would see some Bellator people come over heavyweight being one of them, Right. Uh, a, a great marketing ploy and technique here would be, hey, we're going to have the most stacked heavyweight tournament ever. And uh, the winner of that tournament is going to fight Nganu, right? Um, and, and that makes some sense because at least then you add some more notable names. It's still not the level of competition that is anywhere near the UFC, right? If If we're looking at this, Bellator fighter rankings right now. Ryan Bader is the champ. That's a known name. And, you know, again, a Bader and Ganu fight could certainly draw more interest than a Bader and X person who no one that is more, I don't want to say purely a UFC fan, but much more focused on the UFC. 
they're more likely to say, oh, I know Ryan Bader. I know Francis Ngannou. Sure, I'll pay for that. I'll watch that. Um, but then you get into Linton Vasil, uh, Valentin Moldavsky, uh, Steve Mowry, Daniel James, Tyrell Furchett. I mean, those names are better than some of the PFL ones that are in the tournament. I don't know of all of them, uh, but it's still it's still pretty weak, right? And that's that is something moving forward where PFL purchasing Bellator just to add some names in there and shore up that talent gap would be good. I mean, there's also plenty of other divisions where it would help them, right? From the fighters they've already signed, you you could get a couple of stacked or at least more stacked tournaments, which is not a bad call. But for Nganu, the biggest problem you have right now if you're the PFL is UFC, as John Nash rightfully pointed out this morning, UFC contracts have gotten more restrictive again so that, you know, Nganu situations can't happen as easily where you just fight out your contract and then you leave. Um, Not only that, but there's no one really coming up where all of a sudden, like, this person is open and willing to go somewhere else like that's a huge deal the only person i could think of who might be able to get away with it would be stipe but given the fact that stipe has almost certainly turned down certain fights um wanting to fight at later dates all that other stuff he probably has gotten extended multiple times he's the only person in the ufc rankings i could see right now that maybe Maybe, maybe, and that's a long shot, has a chance of getting out of the contract and then could sign a PFL fight against Ngannou, which that would be huge, right? You get the Stipe versus Ngannou trilogy in the PFL. That would be a massive win for PFL, but I'm sure the UFC is also keen to that, and they obviously want to do Stipe Jones, which Stipe is very, seems very keen to fight. So, I mean, you know, you've got... Un- unlikely chance that that happens outside of that scenario. I can't think of a single UFC heavyweight who even rem- remotely has a chance of getting out of their contract and moving to PFL. And that leaves the question of, okay, Ngannou's going to fight people, right? But who, who does he fight? Bader is the best possible name there in Bellator. PFL either has to acquire Bellator or work out a deal or something. Um, I mean, that's that's really it, right? I can't think of another. Let me know in the comments if you have another heavyweight name that's like, oh, that would be a great fight. Uh, yeah, you've got one. Uh, you've got the one champ. Um, they still need to unify with Bular, and uh, the name is escaping me of the current one heavyweight champ. That could be a fight, but even then, like, Nganu is the clear A side in these scenarios. And one thing that I have been pretty adamant about, right, is that we don't know his draw as an A-side. We know that the Gon Nganu fight, which, again, Gon was one of the most highly touted heavyweight prospects in a while. Um, that fight did less than Oliveira Gaethje. So under 400K buys for UFC, which means, again, as Nganu as the perceived A-side isn't necessarily a huge draw. As a B-side, he's perfect, right? You put him in there with Wilder, with Fury, with Jones. Uh, I mean, the potential for pay-per-view money is is there. And I think that's part of the PFL's thinking in this scenario, right? Is Because PFL only really has to pay him out based on profits. 
I mean, he's still making a, a guaranteed purse that's very high. Don't get me wrong. But for it to be like crazy money, he has to sell pay-per-views. Events have to do well. And, you know, that insulates PFL a little bit. But it's a scenario where I'm not sure that's going to happen. It's hard to think of a fighter right now that you could match Ngannou up with in MMA outside of a UFC contracted heavyweight that is going to draw huge numbers. If they lower the pay-per-view price, right? Like, let's say it's $20, $30. Okay, maybe, but I think the last pay-per-view was 50 or 60 It was still pretty high. I don't know that that's going to generate a, a crazy amount of buys. I just, I haven't seen it based on Nganu's previous pay-per-view buy rates. I'm not saying Nganu isn't a big name in the sport or a star to an extent in the sport, right? Anything like that, but... I mean, as we've seen, right, star power is definitely fickle. And this is a scenario he's coming off a long layoff. Jones has moved up and beaten gone in the UFC, which does cause that, you know, dispute slash confusion around who is the best heavyweight in the world, right? Um, that was the UFC's plan from the get-go. If Gone had won, then Nganu has a little bit more strength and leverage, but that didn't happen. Jones did. So now we'll always question what how would Jones and Ganu have gone? Um, and that doubt, right? That only helps the UFC. So it, it's interesting to see who Ngannou might face. Um, in terms of the deal itself, though, circling back to that, right? I think ultimately this is a, a great business deal for Francis and Ganu. Um, this is the type of deal that Again, how do you say no to this? You're going to make a ton of money. You're getting what you want in terms of equity and board advisory. You're making sure your opponents get paid, which is something that is obviously important to Francis. You're getting all basically everything you would want out of an MMA contract. And you're still free to go box with whoever you want, and you don't have to be promoted by the PFL to go boxing. That, uh, yeah, there's no way you turn this deal down. Again, it seems like this has been verbally agreed to for multiple months now. Yes, of course. Why not? I mean, it, it's hard to imagine a better deal for Francis outside of the UFC saying, all right, like we'll promote you in a huge boxing match. We'll pay you the money you want. Because then it gives a little bit more prestige. He gets certainly more pay-per-view, buy money, all that type of stuff, right? But other than that, it's hard to imagine a better deal for Francis and Ganu. So this is... A plus job on his part, especially since he mostly represented himself. Uh, he had Markel Martin in his corner a little bit. CAA closed their MMA division. So Martin wasn't officially representing him, but he acted as an advisor. Um, but yeah, just fantastic work. Again, definitely the best deal you're ever going to see outside of the UFC and maybe the best deal in all of MMA. Cause I don't see the UFC changing their ways anytime soon. Um, the potential for greater monetary return is definitely in the UFC, but yeah, I mean, this, this is probably the best deal that an MMA fighter is going to get in this era in quite some time. I, I can't imagine a better deal to be honest. So just fantastic work there on the PFL side. This is an interesting call for many reasons, right? You're essentially putting a ton, if not all your eggs in one basket. You're paying Nganu a ton of money. You're giving him equity. They're talking about la launching a Champions League uh, in 2026. So that'll be interesting to see what that really looks like. Um, 
and they're obviously expanding out into Africa. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to do global events, which was always kind of the plan, right? That's part of why World Series of Fighting had filed their lawsuit um, to say like, hey, you can only do so many events outside the U.S. Uh, and World Series of Fights Global, you know, owns the right to all this stuff. So we'll see where that goes in court. But this was always kind of the plan and expansion. Remember, Ari Emanuel talked about on an Endeavor call once or conference um, how you know, most of the viewership and, and money comes in from outside the U S like the U S is the most lucrative market, right? Where if, if you, right, we're the only ones paying God, $80 a pay-per-view or something crazy like that. But I mean, in terms of viewership and advertising and all those deals like that, the UFC keeps upping their profit margins and which we'll talk about later. Uh, that's mostly driven by again, renewal of TV deals that are, doubling in other countries it's don't get me wrong the u.s market is still the most important to ufc's lifeline and revenue all this stuff but once you have that as your base the way you increase profits is through these other international deals and that's essentially what pfl is trying to do here right they're they've got some sponsors now they've got some momentum um Investors seem to, again, keep pouring money into it. We know they're not making a profit, but that's not uncommon in this type of stage of company. Uh, but they're they're getting the right investors and the right sponsors in place. They are making the right moves. PFL Europe, again, I think was a good call. And now you've got a, a name in the sport that, again, it's not a John Jones signing or someone that, you know, is truly a to an extent, a crossover star, right? It's not Ronda Rousey, not, but it's it's one of the best possible names you could get in this era right now. Um, but the cost to getting that name is very, very high. And I'm sure a huge part of this is, again, going back to investors and being like, look, we signed the heavyweight champion, Francis Ngannou, the guy that never lost his belt. He's the best heavyweight in the world. Doesn't matter what UFC says, whatever. We signed the, the number one guy. Um, that of course is going to pique their interest. It, it's a shrewd move by them, but the real question will be how much can Francis draw? How is this going to affect, you know, just ratings and, and sponsors in general, right? And is allowed to put his own sponsors in the cage. Um, it will make a splash initially without a doubt, but how long will that splash be sustained? Right. What's the longevity longevity of this deal? Because it sounds like it's only two or three fights, which again, not a bad call on the PFL side. You're not saying like eight fights at crazy amount of money, blah, blah, blah. But it, it's still a scenario where let's say we get to a pay-per-view super fight of Nganu versus let's say anti Delijah, right? Let's say he wins the tournament. You, you end up with that, and I'm just picking out a random name. Um Nganu versus him like how well does that draw and if it falls flat on its face i mean pfl again has a lot of risky exposure here they need to probably put in certain numbers in terms of both terrestrial viewership and pay-per-view buys to make this deal worth it to them and to show investors and partners like look this is the right call we're growing it's all this stuff um you know uh it's it's gonna be interesting because having a 
guy like Nganu, he's not necessarily the savior, right? You've still got a lot of other things you've got to do, but you know, it's not as though you signed. I mean, probably the best, uh, the best example is, you know, look at, look at with Eddie Alvarez and Demetrius Johnson with one, right? Like Alvarez went over one went or Johnson went over. Um, and, and it helped some, but it, in terms of their first couple TNT cards, right. For viewership, it, it wasn't, you know, huge at all. I mean, you had Johnson and Alvarez fighting in the U S on TV at one, you had during the NCAA tournament, you had advertisements for these fights. It was a big move and yet it didn't really, again, like land as one would probably have hoped it landed. And that's something PFL has to be worried about here. They, they are far more exposed. They're putting a lot of, of eggs in this basket. Their risk is high here. So overall, I'd say it's an okay deal on the PFL side. Again, if you had another free agent or you had someone in the PFL who's been dominant, like if you had another Kayla Harrison for heavyweight, I think it's a much better deal. But you got to take risks. And this is probably a risk that is well worth the calculation. I'm sure Don Davis and company has, has reviewed all that and that makes sense. I would I would make this calculated risk because it's the biggest possible thing you could do to move forward in terms of talent. And while it exposes you, it's one of the best and only ways to move forward and grow your brand um, given the current industry landscape, right? I, I mean, UFC is still so far ahead brand-wise and just... You know, competitive advantage wise, it's it's a joke. No one's close to them. This type of signing and some of the other recent moves PFL has made really starts to solidify them as a contender for the number two promotion. Again, depends on what you're judging it by. I mean, Bellator is still technically profitable. PFL is not, so there's that. But if you're talking about just overall interest, uh, hype around the product, things of that nature, it certainly seems like PFL is is making really good ground. And that's part of what this is. So I say it's a good deal. I mean, fantastic deal for Ngannou, um, but it's still a solid, okay deal for, um, for PFL. Sorry, I keep hitting the mic. It's been a day. Let me know your thoughts on the signing. Are you going to sign up and watch a pay-per-view with Francis Ngannou headlining? I really want to know in the comments against anybody because Francis is in the A side. So who knows who it's going to be? Does it have to be somebody like a name like uh, Ryan Bader or, you know, some deal, right? Like, does it have to be somebody or are you going to just watch Francis fight literally anyone? If you're watching this podcast, my guess is you'll probably watch Francis, but I'm curious to know, like, are you willing to pay the money? Are you willing to pay $50 to watch Francis and Ganu fight? Uh, I don't know, uh, Auntie Delijah or Bruno Capaloza? Or Maurice Green. Let me know your thoughts on that because that's going to be kind of a check to see how well Nganu is going to draw in this scenario. But again, fantastic move by Nganu. Uh, he's still almost certainly going to box before he gets back in the MMA cage. He's alluded to it. If I'm him, again, you don't want to risk taking a loss, even if it's against an opponent you're pretty sure you could just destroy. You don't want to risk taking a loss or having the fight go bad or something happened, get injured that then puts the boxing match in jeopardy. Cause it's clear. He wants to have a big boxing fight 
at least once. And so you want to get that done as soon as possible. If you have a tune-up boxing fight, so be it. But you probably don't really want to do that if you can avoid it. If you need to, sure. But um, boxing is where he's going next still. I, I do not see a scenario where he, unless Wilder and Fury just back out and he has no good boxing options, I don't see a scenario where he goes to fight in the pay-per-view PFL division first. So that's my thoughts on all that. Um, again, big news, probably the biggest free agent signing we'll see for years, honestly, um, definitely the biggest we've seen in years. So what are you going to do? It's, it's, it's an interesting industry y'all, but yeah, let me know your thoughts. All right. Something we have to follow up on in regards to PFL signing Francis Ngannou is the suspension of nine PFL fighters, uh, by the Nevada State Athletic Commission. So this is obviously bad news that will now be overshadowed, and we'll talk about that a little bit by the Nganu signing, but uh, you had nine fighters fail drug tests, essentially. Um, these fighters include uh, Thiago Santos, Will Fleury, Christoph Joko, Mohamed Fakharadin, um, all of the light heavyweight division, which is is near half the, the tournament, which just messes that whole tournament up. I don't even know what they're going to do there. They've talked about replacement fighters. I know they've listed a couple, but that, I mean, talk about just basically scrapping the light heavyweight tournament. Uh, for heavyweights, which again is in Ganu's uh, weight, you have Kapaloza, uh, Rizvan Kuniev, and Cesar Ferreira. Um, in addition to those seven featherweight fighters, Alejandro Flores and Daniel Torres were also suspended. So this is obviously not great for PFL, right? Um, and this is something where they started out the week in pretty bad shape. Would not be surprised if the Ngannou announcement was kind of moved up. I'm, I'm not sure when it was scheduled for, but wouldn't be shocked if PFL saw, you know, had this come out and then talked to Francis. It was like, hey, we need you to go ahead and announce this week uh, or we're going to be announcing this week that you have signed. Um Again, it's been it's been known for a while, right? New York Times had the story. Uh, Nash had the story where they broke it technically this morning earlier. Um, you know, it's not shocked at all that you have this fighter suspension and then you announce that you're signing Francis Ngannou. Um, but this, you know, is a very bad look for the PFL in terms of what they're trying to accomplish as an alternative to the UFC and other MMA organizations, because what do you do with the tournament at this point? Right. All you, you've got the heavyweights very much affected. Uh, light heavyweights is, is very is gutted essentially. And then a couple of, you know, people in featherweight, but that still messes up that part of the tournament, especially this happened pretty on early on in the season. Right. Uh, what happens if this happens mid season? It, it changes the entire game. It's a huge risk. The fact that these guys are this many being flagged is is just real, real bad. And you've got PFL saying they're going to start working with USADA. I wouldn't be surprised if they get a similar deal or work out something of a lighter version of what the UFC does, where they're regularly testing athletes, um, all that fun stuff. But it, it it's not a good look right um 
Now, PFL has been able to overcome the betting fiasco with the Challenger Series and all of that. Um, they will be able to overcome this, right? We've seen fighters get injured. We've seen a couple of years where the tournament is certain divisions of the tournament are just a gigantic mess because fighters get injured and then you have people step up when they were doing the two fights or in one night type of thing, right? You had, uh, yeah, Chris Curtis, who was fighting for them at the time, you know, basically looked like he was going to retire. Then he comes back fights. Um, and that leads to him eventually going to the UFC doing as well as he's done all that. But it, it's a scenario where this is something they need to plug fast, right? You've got the Nganu announcement now, which protects them immensely because that will easily overshadow this um, by a long shot. Like, yeah, sure, you're going to have some people cracking jokes and a couple of media members being like, well, I don't know about all this, but the Nganu announcement is big enough that it will easily eclipse this and kind of bury this, put this under the rug, no problem. Um, and I'm not saying the PFL is trying to throw us under the rug and they're just like, oh, we'll look into the suspensions and then you're going to have issues. Like they genuinely seem to be trying to make changes uh, or at least be showing good faith. They're going to make changes to ensure this doesn't happen again. So that's good. I mean, they're removing these fighters, right. And replacing them with substitute. So that's good too. They're not saying like, Oh, these guys filled a drug test. They still get to be in the tournament. They're, they're taking this seriously, but this is definitely something moving forward. They will need to, Make sure it does not happen again, right? Um, worst thing that could happen right now with the Nganu signing is you pump him up. He's your main band ambassador, a brand ambassador. He's your, you know, your star, essentially replacing Car- Kayla Harrison, given Harrison's loss and the fact that, yes, she was the, the star of the women's division in PFL for a while, but she was never as big a star as Nganu, right? Like, even if Harrison was still undefeated, Nganu would be the bigger name here. Um, worst case scenario is you have Nganu end up fighting somebody who wins the heavyweight tournament and then they pop. I mean, that causes massive problems uh, for your image. I'm sure Nganu wouldn't like it. It's a big deal. And just going forward, right? Like the heart and base of your organization are these tournaments. They have to be done fairly. You're all about meritocracy. That's your whole, you know, um, that's your competitive defining feature that that's your differential is you are based purely on, you know, meritocracy doesn't matter how boring the fights are, whatever, like you, you win, you become champ. That's it. Simple as that. So in that same vein, something like this definitely hurts that image and that, you know, alternative marketing, you've got to shore it up in reality. Again, given this week, I don't think it's going to be a huge deal. I don't think people are going to stick with it and it's going to become a like, Oh, Holy crap. You know, why would I watch PFL? Because I know all there, everybody's juicing, blah, blah, blah. Half the time, you know, diehard MMA fans want people to juice. They're like, just let them juice as much as they want. It's more interesting, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it, it's a, it's something that will get blown over very quickly given Nganu got signed, but still, a risk to them moving forward and something they have to figure out a way to fix. I think a USADA partnership light is, is the way to go. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, this is bad. And again, some of your bigger names that you just acquired from the UFC Santos, uh, Joko are, are gone and it's going to be hard to see them get back into the tournament the following year. Will they let it? I could see that 
but depending on you know the views and and different metrics but uh, it's it's not a good time so i think another aspect of this we got to consider too is gambling right like that's a they've already had the gambling misstep and that's something they're pushing it makes sense to go after that crowd and say like look here's another alternative yes you get to bet on the UFC fights, et cetera. But like, Hey, now we're going to have betting segments on PFL. And, you know, I think they've got Jonathan Coachman still and all that. Like it's, that's been clearly a big push in their marketing and something they're trying to make more prevalent on the broadcast to get people more invested in the fights. It's a good strategy, but stuff like this will mess that up too. You already had the betting scandal with the challenger series and all that. Um, which again, they, they seem to have moved past that didn't said the right thing. So that's good. But this type of stuff will mess things up too, because obviously no contest betters are going to be mad. They lost money or, you know, they won. And then they didn't like there, there's lots of issues there. You can't have, you can't have this happening. If you know, you're pushing gambling as one of your avenues for growing your viewing viewership and getting your consumers more interested in the product. So it's something I expect them to, not throw as much money as they did it in Ghana, obviously, but throw some investment into, right? Um, and I, I cannot see a scenario where if this happens again, there isn't some negative impact because it's unlikely they're going to have another Francis Ngannou-sized announcement ready. And even if they do, if it happens multiple times, it's trouble. One or two fighters, that's bound to happen. It happens with everybody. Nine, nine fighters essentially decimating one of your 2023 tournaments. Got to fix that. Definitely got to fix that. All right. So next thing we're going to talk about is shifting over to UFC financials or Zufa financials. So obviously with the purchase of WWE and spinning off of UFC into a new company, uh, Endeavor had to file certain financial forms that give a actual verified account of Zufa financials. I think there are a couple of small little things added to them. It's not just purely UFC, but it's, it's, I mean, we're we're gonna go under the assumption that pretty much 95, 99% of this is is UFC money. And the financials, again, paint a story that we've known about for a while, right? Uh profit margins growing just at an exponential rate. The the actual adjusted EBITDA margins are just unreal. Like, I mean, we're talking about 2020, about 51%, uh, 2021 it dipped a little bit to 50.5% but again uh not super unexpected there but uh, i mean then but up to 55.1% 2022 and things started to open up again right 2021 still had covid you know effects uh, it's just nuts um those those types of adjusted even margins are just out of control especially for the size of UFC, right? I mean, when you're talking about the amount of money they're getting, um, and this is from their official filing, so net income in thousands, right? You got 178, 325 in thousands in 2020, and then 2022, 389 in 22. I mean, and expenses rise a little bit, but I mean, they go from 118, 550 to 139. I, I mean, it's it's just crazy crazy margins right and uh, it's just i I mean 
the the changes itself, right? Because I know and and shout out to DN DN Brown Jr. who does a great job on this thread on a quote tweet on what John Nash talked about, where Nash says UFC profit margins growing from twenty percent twenty six to thirty four percent over the last three years when revenue grew twenty eight percent over that time, which is true. But DN Brown Jr. does a great job of breaking down where that actual you know margin comes from because a lot of it is in regards to depreciation and amateurization expense from intangibles so it's kind of i'm not going to go into the super financial details here if you want me to let me know and i can do that for you separately i think it's just going to be boring I look at the thread basically um he explains it very well and, and you know seems when I'm looking at it, that seems about right from my perspective too. Uh, so look at that. Uh, but I mean, the, these, again, these EBITDA margins are nuts. And they basically confirm what we've been talking about, that the UFC has continued to grow profit. We've known through the own sports properties um, piece of Endeavor, right, that UFC is the main driver of that. We had an estimate of about 10% of that was other things, including the Euro Basketball League, professional bull riding, a couple minor league baseball teams, et cetera. But I mean, this is in line with all that. And this shows just the Zufa numbers. And they are, there's a reason Endeavor had this as their crown jewel. And again, they still own 51% uh, of the new company. So they're still getting money just similarly to how they did when they first bought the majority share of the UFC before they bought it all outright. So they're still getting plenty of money to pay off their other debts. Uh, They almost certainly will take a huge amount of money and transfer debt from Endeavor over to this new company. But, uh, I mean, these are the types of margins that a, a business fanatic salivates over, right? If you're a CEO, if you're, I mean, you're, this is legendary type stuff, especially for the size, again, of the UFC. I, these types of margins are unbelievable for how big the UFC is. And this new company is going to be valued at, what, like $21 billion? Uh, Again, that's high-ish based on WWE, and, and you know it's always you have a ton of intangibles and all that stuff. It's not actual profit showing that, but the actual profit from the UFC alone justifies it more than I've seen in terms of other valuations where it's been grossly overvalued. Right? WeWork's crazy billion, multi-billion-dollar value uh, valuation never had any type of financials like this to back it up. This is like hey, we believe it's this much, and here are actual solid financials that kind of prove that we are on this path. And it's hard to deny them. Um, The interesting thing, right, is adjusted EBITDA went about 5% total from 2020 to 2022. And yes, you are going to see more fighter cost cutting in terms of I've seen a lot of complaints about the fight night cards going on all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to keep happening. Um, I think even more so, I think you're going to get to the point where pay-per-views start to look like that because they want to keep expenses down. That's one way to do it. You're going to continue to see the apex. Everybody's like, why are you doing these cards? The apex again, logistics and costs, production costs, all that stuff. It's, it saves money unless they're going to an area like Charlotte or something where they break a gate and they're also breaking gates again because of the scarcity of events you have Ari Emanuel talk about how when they host a live event most of the people actually attending are from out of town there's a reason for that right like if you don't have a lot of events going on it becomes a yeah we're still going to these areas but not as often as we were before and 
you know, it's not that if I'm in, you know, Raleigh, it's not that big a deal for me to drive down to, you know, Charlotte, right? It's okay. It's a trip, but it's, it's a trip. I can do that for one weekend. And who knows if, when they're ever coming back to Raleigh because they're not doing every fight, every, you know, X amount of times. Uh, I mean, Austin, right. They had UFC Austin this past year that I went to, uh, I mean, I'm, you had a lot of people from Dallas and Houston and fight fans coming for that. And Texas is a little bit different because they do a lot in Dallas and Houston anyway, but still like I, it makes sense to kind of limit and create a scarcity of live events outside of the apex. And then you have the quote unquote normal events at the apex, the fight cards where it's like, okay, this card is, is headlined by one or two ranked fighters. And then the rest are all brand new. 10 and 10 Dana White contender series guys that it's a way to keep costs down. You're going to see more of that. It's going to be harder and harder to not only grow this margin, but maintain it too. Right. Um, as the echo, I've said this a million times as the economic environment turns on a greater scale, it's going to be harder to re up deals and get double or triple. I mean, just even if the economic environment was great right now, right? Like even if unicorns were all the rage, if money was just flowing from peonies and wall street, all that stuff, it's still going to be tough to continually up the amount you're asking for. You're going to hit a plateau at a minimum, right? Growth is great. And, and growth is King to an extent, but the more you grow, the harder it is to continue to make those same types of gains. That's just how it is. Um, I mean, I equate it to, you know, losing weight or gaining muscle or what have you, right? Like you make those initial gains, they're fantastic. As you keep going, you're able to grow muscle or lose weight, get down to a certain weight. But at some point, right, like just physically, it, you would hit a wall. You'd, you And people talk about plateaus for getting in term, like in getting in shape the way they want to, right? Like, or hitting weight loss goals. There are plateaus where it's just harder for your body to lose weight. The initial burst and the initial run, sure, but at some point you're gonna, you know, hit that plateau and essentially move from a growth-focused company to a mature company where you're trying to maintain your margins, pay out dividends, um, you know, increase where you can. But you, you're been around for a while. That's the UFC is getting closer and closer to that point where their their margins may stay the same and they'll try and maintain those margins as much as possible. Maybe they grow at very small increments. But this hyper growth is going to end. I mean, it, it has to. And they're nearing in that point more and more. This is something that, again, even with their adjusted EBITDA, you know, 5% increase, that's huge. But it's not, you know, the, the massive 10, 20 double digit increases we've seen in the past. I think moving forward with WWE... There's a little bit more, especially with the combined TV deal, which I think that's what they're going for, right? Is I would assume they're trying to sell it as a package to someone to say, hey, look, you can get both WWE and UFC and it's going to grow your business like wildfire. You're going to have like two of these prized, you know, alternatives to the big four sports. Um, that can give them a boost. I think, you know, there are, are ways they can, synergize some of this stuff between WWE and, and UFC guys crossover, all that stuff to get a boost there, but it's, it's going to hit its limit 
and especially post combination with WWE, I feel like it's going to be harder and harder to grow. Um, as WWE grows again, that will help the overall new company, but UFC is, is reaching that saturation mat- maturation point, I would say. Uh, but right now, again, they're they're not there yet too. They, they've still got a little bit of runway left because uh, I mean, these this growth is nuts. It's it's still insane. It's not what we've seen in the past where it's like whoa, like this is you know Endeavor bought the UFC and all of a sudden three years later it's crazy different. Um, but it's it's still growing at a level that's unprecedented. So expect more cost cutting cost cutting measures. That's that's basically my bottom line on this. This shows me like okay. They're going to keep getting more sponsorships. They're going to keep doing this. Yes, they're still going that right, but they're reaching their saturation point there. Um, cost cutting is the, is the next thing to happen, and they're already showing some of that. Don't be surprised if we see 2023 financials where suddenly their mar- margins and profit has gone up again, but it's more because of the expense line. That's what I would say. All right, I'm going to keep this segment basically shortish because... Uh, we, we've, you know, it's been a week and a lot of other more important news going, but I feel like it warranted a discussion. And that is Dana White's, uh, you know, power slap comments saying that, you know, quote, the deal I just cut for slap is bigger than the UFC deal. We cut for spike TV after the first season of the ultimate fighter. I don't give a S what the media thinks about it. They don't matter. It's unbelievable. Not only is it unbelievable money wise, it's been un- unbelievable as far as social media goes. Quote, we're number one in all of sports. When I say all of sports, if you take the NBA, NHL, NFL, F1, WWE, and who am I forgetting, and add them all together, their numbers don't compare to slap. Um, now, this obviously isn't, I guess, true based on information we have as the public. Um, Trent Reinsmith put together a, a good breakdown of this, a Bloody Elbow, talking about you know social media accounts, um, I mean, when you're looking at what, what power slap is doing, um, it's, it's nowhere near, at least from what we can see, nowhere near some of these other sports, sports, sports individually, let alone combined. But this is what Dana White has always done is what I would basically counter with is why are we even talking about this? Why is this? I mean, Good for the media guy that challenged him a little bit, essentially in the interview, and said, "Ah, I don't know if that's, you know, that seems unbelievable because it's, it kind of is. Um, And it almost certainly is based on the facts we have, right? This sounds like a, you know, trillions of trillions of potential viewers type scenario where every metric we have publicly picks this by a long shot. It's not a, okay, it could be closer. Maybe there's something we're missing. It's, we'd have to be missing some humongous key piece of information that nobody has ever had except for businesses and they keep it super under wraps, right? I've never heard in any other business scenario, someone making these comparisons, I've, I've never heard this type of stuff. There's engagement. There are certain metrics where maybe Power Slap is beating these guys based on very particular metrics, right? Um, for example, if there's a social media engagement on TikTok, that is maybe like a, a voting poll or something of who you want to see next in a fight or something like, well, if you use that particular metric, then that might beat all the other ones. Cause the NHL and NFL and NBA schedule are all kind of combined and, and 
like release. It's not like a you vote who you'd like to see next type thing. So maybe like there's there might be ways to manipulate the data to make this true to those particular points of data. Because that I mean, you can usually do that with any set of data, um, to be honest. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, come on. Right. Like this, this. Yeah, this is Dana being Dana. But again, this is Dana being Dana. This is what he does. He promotes. As a promoter, it's his job to go out there and say, this is the best thing in the world. Uh, it is better than all these guys. We're doing better than all these guys. It's great. And that's what he does. He's done this with the UFC multiple times, right? He did this with the Conor McGregor Floyd Mayweather pay-per-view, where then Steven Espinosa said, nah, those numbers are... I don't know what he's talking about because this is what we have. But this is what Dana has always done. He's basically come out, said all these things, and if you're able to look at this information, it seems, again, on face value, like this doesn't seem right. But there are a bunch of Dana White fans and people who just are all about him that are going to ignore and just listen to him, right? This happens all the time. This is why you have to check your facts, your sources, all this stuff. Think about how many conspiracy theories or crazy outlandish stuff are out there. And then people are believing them where it's like, wait a minute. Like there are people that actually believe this. Um, and you're like, how in the world is that possible? It's because again, they, it's, they're able to be influenced. And this is a scenario where, a lot of us are going to look at this and, and scoff and be like, get out of here. But there's going to be a fair amount of people who just hear that blurb and they're like, well, Dana tells the truth and he's telling this. That's awesome. Right? And they're going to literally believe it and then spread it. And they're going to keep that narrative up. And either way, all it does is, again, shine more light on Power Slap and Rumble, which is what they want. So this, this is a classic Dana White tactic. We don't need to go over this Again, he's going to keep doing this. He's going to keep saying these things. He did in the UFC. He will for power slap. It's never going to stop, folks. You can dispute the numbers, show all the stuff you want. You'll need to, to an extent, right? To people that are uneducated in it, sure. But like, this is, this is just what he does. He will never stop doing this. It's how he's made his living as a promoter. And it's helped him get to where he is. So... Again, I don't know which metrics he's specifically talking about. Maybe there are a couple that they're winning, but I, yeah, I just don't see it. I, I just don't see it. All right, everyone. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Fight Business Podcast. Really appreciate you listening. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like, subscribe, bell notification. If you're listening on Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, what have you, love you guys as always. Um, I will be off next week. I know I took two weeks off before for other garbage. I will be off next week on vacation. I will be back after that and we'll be back to a normal schedule. Again, things have popped up that are beyond my control. It's just classic. Um, but you know, my fault for my career. Uh, so <laughs> with that in mind, uh, let me know if you have any questions about anything we covered. Definitely let me know if you're going to buy a Francis Ngannou PFL pay-per-view. Want to know that. Uh, and any topics, anything you want me to cover on the show, always happy and open to do that. But until next time, everybody, get money.